You know why I'm so passionate about music to code by? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than four bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only three bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1326, with guests Troy Hunt, Niall Merrigan, and Stephen Haunts. Recorded Tuesday, May 31st, 2016. It's Dot Net! <laughs> Boy, Carl, you sound great. <laughs> oh, God. Well, uh, my voice says we'll show up eventually. Maybe. Uh, thank you for coming to the security panel at, uh, at uh, NDC Oslo 2016. Are you having a good show so far? Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate the fact that you guys are so outgoing. Because <laughs> most Norwegians are very rowdy, as you know. And uh, yeah. So, Richard. Buddy. How you doing? I'm good. We're just about the end of this, uh, this sprint of shows for us. It's been fun. We're, it, we've done 12 shows here. This is the 11th one. Yep. One more to go. One more to go. So, so we're... we're uh, Paying our way here. Yeah, no question. Uh, I'm very, I'm very excited to be doing this panel, uh, security panel. But before we get talking to the panel and the guests, we have a little business to do. Mm-hmm. First one is called Better Know a Framework. Roll that music. All right, buddy, what do you got? All right, so this is show 1326. Mm-hmm. So if you go to, th- you know the pattern, 1326.pwop.me, M-E, will bring you to this story. U.S. spies are building software to spot your suspicious behavior in live video. Nice. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And every one of you guys is thinking, oh, you Uh, poor Americans. (laughs) Uh, the intelligence community is working on amping up people recognition power to spot in live videos shooters and potential terrorists before they have a chance to attack. Part of the problem with current video surveillance techniques is the difficulty of recognizing objects and people simultaneously in real time. But deep intermodal video analytics, or DIVA... Nice. <laughs> 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 
a research project out of the, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, Office of the Director of National Intelligence, <laughs> will attempt to automatically detect suspicious activities with the help of live video pouring in through multiple camera feeds. I am no longer sunbathing in the nude. No. Oh. We're all better off, Carl, I think. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this just walks that fine line between security and privacy. I and don't think it walks it at all. I think it's way over the line. Way over the line. <laughs> There's the line. Yeah. Way there back. they go. Oh. Sprinting over the line. So, uh, you know, that I, I always like to find a story when we talk to Troy or other security people that just in, it elicits emotion around uh, privacy and security, and that's a good one. Yeah, you're looking for the, they're doing what they're reaction? Doing what? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, that's what I got. Awesome, uh, who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1295, the one we did with one Troy Hunt. Yeah. And we talked about SQL injection and ransomware and all other kinds of good things. Troy doing his usual job of scaring the snot out of us. Right. And uh, David Glass had this comment where he said, oh, God, no, not Troy Hunt again. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he's on .NET Rocks, he makes me panic and change all my passwords. And my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, I am stunned every time I see a seasoned developer show a complete lack of interest in making their applications secure. I can understand how new devs don't get it, but it still winds me up. They seem to fit into one of these three camps. One, oh, I just never thought about it. It's baffling that this still happens today. Two, it will never happen to me. I just show them the weblocks of any app that they've worked on, and the constant stream of port scans and login attempts usually bucks them up. Mm. Or three, I just don't care. The worst. Apathy is the hardest thing to fix. Why isn't security not just taught at level one, but made an integrated part of the process? It's like giving a class on web development and not mentioning CSS, which in some ways is a kindness, but okay. <laughs> I, agree. I agree. Every student developer should be given some Troy Hunt talks to listen to. Mm. I have nothing to add to this. I think that's absolutely true and, and definitely a problem. David, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We print them out and post them <laughs> on the walls <laughs> of the Department of National Intelligence. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm going to let our guests, Troy, Stephen, and Niall, introduce themselves, starting with you, Mr. Hunt. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Troy Hunt. I'm the guy in the, the thing just before. <laughs> <laughs> you were that guy. The, apparently the scary one, the, uh, the Australian security guy out of our... our uh, Colonial collection here. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a colonial mob up here, sort of, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Except for you, um, Canadian. Mr. Hans is actually oh, get Canadian. Back too. Enough, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Stephen? Hi, I'm Stephen Hans, and I'm not Canadian. Oh. <laughs> I'm from the UK. I'm a lead developer for a company called Bang Butler, and I also do some work for plural sites with Troy. Great. Cool. I'm not as scary as Troy, though. <laughs> <laughs> now? My name is Niall Merrigan. I work with Capgemini. I'm one of our local Irish Norwegian imports here. Um, I kind of came up here and got lost, and they won't let me go back home. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, honey. You never hear this, right? We can, we can edit that bit out, right? Uh, sure, we will. Oh, so, <laughs> so, their actual bios are on the website.netrocks.com if you really find out how they're qualified to be here in the first place. 
Uh, so security panel, where do we start? What do you think of the, what's going on in the United States? Uh, and I'm, I'm the only guy <laughs> yeah. from the United States, yeah. and I'm asking you guys, what's wrong with my country, actually? Uh, can we, do we have do to we answer that politically correct? Or yeah, are we of course not. Should we start Trump? with the election and then just go from there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Trump's got all your best interests at heart. Yeah. 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 You should yeah. try living next door to the guy. Oh, yeah, God. I know, I'm always lobbing Scud missiles over the border. <laughs> Build a wall. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the, the breach culture, I, I think people are getting numb. Like, they're just not even reacting to it anymore. It's become funny. I think it's partly that. And I, I mean, we're recording this at a time where the last few weeks we've had things like uh, MySpace, 360 million records. Yeah, LinkedIn, record about for you, right? I yeah, I, I passed a billion records on, on the stage yesterday. Mm-hmm. I haven't been phoned, believe it or not. Well done. Uh, and just time out. For those who don't know what he's talking about, Troy has a database of email addresses that uh, you can look yourself up and to see if you've been hacked. It's called Have I Been Pwned? PW. It's got all your email addresses in it. <laughs> it probably know. does, actually. It's got mine. I actually found mine in that from the Adobe hack, and I had to go change my passwords because yeah. of it. So over yeah. a billion, you said? Yeah, so we, we passed a billion yesterday because I loaded VK, the Russian uh, version of Facebook, which was about another 93 million. But that came after, Ado- uh, no, what was it recently? MySpace, LinkedIn, uh, Tumblr was there, Fling.com. Uh, everyone's going, what? Uh, so fling.com, look it up after you get home. <laughs> Don't do it here. But we, we had all these massive data breaches, and the interesting thing is they're all from several years ago. They're like yeah. 2012, 2013. Hmm. Uh, but they're just surfacing now, and what we're seeing is this sort of media buzz where everyone wants to believe that everything is a data breach. So that the news yesterday was it's Twitter. Twitter's got 32 million accounts hacked, and that's all the headlines. And then the, the, the chief security officer at Twitter's come out and said, no, nah, it's not ours. You know, it didn't come from here. Mm. Yeah. So now we're sort of starting, it's, it's almost like it's not just getting so used to breaches, it's just automatically assuming the worst and everyone's just losing their minds over you know, not even checking that they're actually legit. Mm. Yeah, because you often fall into a situation where you're the validation source now. Yeah, well, I actually check stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. so there's, there's that. Uh, but a lot of people don't. And I, I guess that there are also parties out there that uh, are sort of incentivized, if you like, by the fact there are breaches. There are people that sell the data. There right. are people that sell security services that benefit from other people thinking that data is out there. So there's, there's too many sort of vested interests in wanting there to be large data breaches, and, and mm. it's not in their interest to check them. Interesting. Now, it's just evil all by itself. Mm, well, it's another level. Yeah. yeah. Well, and this is another, this is an odd aspect of dealing with security, just that so you sort of got into the situation with this bloody website of being, in, you know, on top of every breach. Have you guys been responsible for systems that have been breached? Like, you've been on the other side of this? Will you admit it? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily not, but I mean, I've worked for plenty of companies that have made some pretty dumb decisions right. and have had some pretty poor excuses for why they don't improve their security. So, uh, but, but haven't been punished for it with a nice public, here is all of these username, emails, credit card numbers and so forth. And we blame Stephen Hawes. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but I mean, there's one company I've worked for whose name I'm not going to mention, which I wouldn't be surprised if something did happen in the like future. It's sort of inevitable. Yeah. I think you, what's interesting about the time-delayed breaches is just this idea that they may have been hacked but right now somebody's sitting on that data maybe trying to sell it without mm. making it public because mm. it's worth more while it's unknown like just because you have, it's not like somebody leads a card behind saying hey i copied all your data and is there any evidence that um, data that's stolen whether it's accounts or you know 
banking statements that are they used more for collateral, you know, or, or, or prestige or whatever, or do people actually buy them and then hack against those accounts and benefit, you know, actually commit other crimes with the data? Do you, do you see both things happening as much? I certainly see both things. One aspect of this I find really interesting is that there are a lot of people that that trade in data breaches the way right. you would trade in like baseball cards, right? Right. Mm. And a lot of the time, it, it, it is actually kids. It's like legally children, you know, and maybe they're 15, 16, 17 years old, but they're kids. And they're going, hey, I've got uh, this one. You know, do you have that one? Can we do a swap? Can we do a trade? And I'm sort of looking at it going, well, what are you, why? <laughs> like, what are you doing with this stuff? Yeah. And, you know, they want to do stuff like look up friends. They, you know, some of them want to sort of see how many passwords they can crack. But it's but bragging rights, too. I mean, you're a kid and you say to your friend on the bus, you know, hey, I've got all of LinkedIn's databases, passwords and all that stuff. You know, ooh, you know. Oh, yeah, there's a degree you, you have like a, a certain medal of honor among your script kitty friends but you know there's that and i do no. <laughs> hang on a second <laughs> yeah, colloquially speaking yeah so yeah. there's that but the other side of it as well is that there is a commercial upside to, to having uh, breached data with accounts that actually work in other places so we've seen uh just in the wake of this news the last couple of days about there being some large amount of data that works with some number of twitter accounts mm. A bunch of people have said, uh, hey, my account, my Twitter account has been broken into and there are people uh, posting things like porn networks. And inevitably, there is some degree of monetization there where it drives traffic and awareness of the sites. And there's, there's definitely a really sort of shady underbelly to that, which does actually have a commercial incentive as well. Like with, with all the, the different breaches, like if you've got access to all these kind of passwords and usernames and passwords and you can start seeing all the hashes, you can start to draw conclusions of the type of security they're using and then start kind of maybe social engineering, especially if you can find one of the high profile accounts that, you know, they're not using 2FA. If you can get near a kind of CIO, CSO or even like, you know, financial officer and you can use that then for advanced social engineering techniques. Social the, engineering meaning blackmail and black, such. You can, like, that, that's exactly it. There's, there's, yeah. there's, everyone thinks, oh, you know, social engineering someone's going to click a link phishing from some nigerian prince mm. but there's other things for example they'll say well we'll try and insert something into your computer or and track out like some of your personal information maybe try and uh, activate your webcam at an in inappropriate moment or make put some data on your computer that we can use then to blackmail you to get, to get uh, you to give us money because humans are the weakest part of every system it's usually where we do get um, the biggest and easiest breaches out of people or out of any system. We just try and find a, a user with a weak password, or we try and a strong arm an admin somewhere, and then take over. Because there's a lead time of what, like 200 days between a, an app, or a system being breached and it being found by the, um, the kind of security team if they don't have a proper kind of intrusion detection system in place. Well, I was just checking my facts here. Yeah. A few days ago, Zuckerberg had his uh, Twitter, Pinterest, and LinkedIn accounts all hacked. Ooh. Uh, allegedly, he had a password of uh, da da da. Uh, <laughs> allegedly, uh, but we do know that he did have those three accounts hacked because we saw other people take over them and tweet and message on mm -hmm. his behalf. So yeah, talking about high-profile individuals that are the targets of these sorts of things. Because wasn't that what the thing with the LinkedIn one? Once the LinkedIn breach kind of went public. Um, the, the latest one, like from four years ago, the, they started looking for high-profile accounts and then started kind of posting. It wasn't they were posting against LinkedIn passwords. What they were doing is they, they found the password for the, the person used for LinkedIn was the same one they were using for Twitter. And then they had enabled cross-posting from Twitter to LinkedIn. 
So people were then kind of saying, oh, you know, there's, there's nice LinkedIn, you know, and all your professional network. And all of a sudden it comes up this porn URL from some CIO in uh, like some company. And the guy's going, how did it get there? Did they hack LinkedIn? It's like, no, they hacked your Twitter because you didn't, because LinkedIn had forced everyone to uh, reset all their passwords if you were involved in that breach. So public service announcement, don't allow cross-posting from Twitter to LinkedIn, hmm. especially if you use the same password. Maybe just don't use the same password. Oh! (laughs) And here's the other thing. Like, all of these accounts, they haven't got multi-step verification turned Mm. on, right? Right. Like, as soon as you have a reused password or a bad password, that is your your fallback position. That's your defense, you know? You've got to have the little SMS or the authenticator app. So, in the case of Zuckerberg here and those other ones, obviously, they just didn't enable that. And it's there in all of these big social media accounts now. So, every time you see one of those owned, you you sort of go, "You, you missed something really fundamental. Well, like, how many people, like, don't use 2FA on everything? 99%. Really? There was a figure the other day. Is that that, that fact-checked? Yeah, no, that is fact-checked. I can't remember whether it was from LinkedIn or it was one of the other big ones just recently. It wasn't MySpace because no one cares about that. (laughs) But uh, it was one of the big ones. And they said uh, literally their statistics showed less than 1% of people actually enabled multi-step verification. Wow. Well, part of that would be that there's an awful lot of bad 2FA implementations out there. Like, it, it cripples using the product. Yeah. So even if you don't turn on 2FA, I mean, I arrive in Norway, I go to log into Twitter and immediately get an email for Twitter going, hey, are you in Norway? <laughs> Which is not bad, right? Yeah. I mean, at least that's a useful thing. But there was an interesting situation that happened the other day, Richard. You went to PayPal, you logged in, and he it, okay, knows that he's from Canada, and yet the PayPal page after he logged in was in Norwegian. Mm. <laughs> That's two including FA, the right. button to switch it back to English. <laughs> that, that's two FA right there. It just stops you using PayPal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, what about things like uh, password managers? Well, so, I was going to say, so do we even, should we even be using passwords at all now that we have password managers and things? Well, you should be remembering them now. I mean, you yeah. don't need to remember most of them now. But I mean, look, we've still got to use them. It's just, uh, it's just a question of not getting an emotional attachment to being able to remember it. Well, it breaks, that's where it breaks down. A yeah. password manager, though, like the one Richard uses, you don't actually know what your password yeah, is. Yeah, so are. I was just laughing about, right? As I was logging into PayPal, I, was like, I have no idea what my PayPal password is. It changes itself every 30 days, right? Like LastPass does that for me. Hmm. I, I don't even, beats me. I don't know. It'd be a pity if somebody found your LastPass password. That would be a problem. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's sort of the issue when you talk about these kinds of tools. Now, admittedly, my LastPass password is all about the entropy. I'm pretty sure it's in the 80 character range. Literally, all about the (laughs) entropy. Aha! Well done. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a good idea to, to, to study some obscure poetry like some Icelandic Vedas or something and then just take a poem right memorize it spend the time to memorize it and you got like five lines now you got five passwords that you can remember just by number one two three four and five so you can create yourself a little document somewhere that says oh this site is one this site is two you know my mom she rings me up and she goes Niall I'm, I'm gonna get a password book for the house and at that point, I hung what up. What does the house have a password? Uh, she was because oh. it was going to be the shared passwords for my mum, my dad, and my brother, oh, or Jesus. and people who came to visit. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> and I was like, I was not too sure if my mum's trolling me as the best social engineer in the house. <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, take off your shoes, write your password, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> What's your password? Um, but I, she sends me this, and I'm like. Um, 
I have to hang up. And she goes, why? I said, because right now I just need to scream out a window for a little bit yeah. and then I'll talk to you again. And I said, it's okay. I just got you a, a uh, I think it was one pass I picked up for her and said, here's a, here's a subscription to that. Just go nuts. Use that. She goes, all right. And uh, at that point, it was like introducing her to that. She was, she's now got so used to it that she's now kind of going, I don't know what my password is, nor do I care. Yeah, and and it, but it's that education part that we've we're missing. That why should I need to know any passwords at all anymore? Well, and, and the big thing here is like, okay, great, you've memorized a set of passphrases, yeah. mm-hmm. and then you log into Microsoft Live ID. What's between eight and sixteen characters? Max, yeah, mm-hmm. right. So it's like inherently a crappy password, no matter what you do. Yeah. But a good password manager will at least let you set that to something that only is going to affect that. But I mean, in fairness as well, okay, sixteen, it, it's. Crappy, and we should do another panel with Barry and beat him up about it. I love it, yeah. <laughs> However, Pref- on a uh, if 16 random characters, like genuinely random characters, they don't get cracked. You know, the, the yeah. amount of entropy you can get out of 16 genuinely it's random not, characters. Not, not too bad, right? But, you know, longer's better. Right? Yeah. The, the XKCD for cartoon is correct. But it's, it's, it's degrees, right? So, like, how, how long should it be? I mean, maybe, maybe ask Niall, because you like password managers. So, what, what's the right length? As long as... No, 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 exactly. Uh, oh, thir- 42. I reckon 43 but you you know what I mean like it's uh, the the math you can't lie with the mathematics but once you get genuine randomness the the length doesn't have to be too much in order for the for the the strength of it to be Mm. pretty off the chart what I don't understand is sites where you know you're supposed to pick a password and then they have rules right Uh. and the rules are can't use special characters can't, uh, can't use numbers. Can't use the word select. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only uppercase or, 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 or drop table. <laughs> <laughs> Only uppercase and lowercase letters. In other words, they're restricting the, the, the strength of your password. For what purpose? I just don't understand. Business rules Why? Are, are, you know, because, you know, bytes cost money. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're passing it as a query uh, string and they don't want tokenization to happen. And of course, that's the funny thing for those who haven't maybe thought through it, that the bytes cost money argument, once you hash it, there's all the constant length anyway, so yeah. it doesn't matter how yeah. long the input the, the is. The length sort of goes away. Yeah, and the cost of getting breached is a little bit more than the cost of the bytes in the first yeah. place. Are, but like, that's, do you kind of bring that up now? And we've got a, a new European directive involved in that uh, called uh, um, GD, G- GDPR, yeah. and um, data protection. And that like has, if you get breached, it's a minimum of 20,000 euro all the way up to 4% of your gross income. Yeah, that'll buy a few special characters. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, you know, I th- we, we were talking about 2FA and then the whole way it, it, it br- uh, breaks systems and for people to use. The whole UX, uh, security UX concept, I think, is a bit broken at times. You know, how we... We get this username and password box. It doesn't tell you what we expect you to put in before you start. So you start first off putting in a big password, and then all of a sudden it says, no, you have to have something different. We need to have this. We need to have that. It becomes a nightmare. I think that the UX guys have been are now needing to kind of come up to the stage as well with the kind of the security part of it and say, well, how do you put this together? How do you make it simpler for users to understand and our users of our systems to say, pick something good, let's guide you through it. Like we saw that, you know, the little bar that goes from orange or red all the way to green on your password strengths. They're kind of a common thing now. Mm-hmm. So I got a question for Richard, actually. LastPass is the one they use? Yeah, I like LastPass. Yeah. 
So LastPass, you have one master password, and then this thing controls and gets into all of your accounts. Yep. Is there any time that you wish you hadn't used it? Like, is, have you ever been on your phone and not been able to log into something because <laughs> LastPass didn't work on your phone or Last, something? But so the only one thing you look for in a password manager is, is it on all of your devices? Right. And, it, and LastPass is pretty good about being on, on all its devices, but I'm still using a Win 10 phone because deep down I hate myself. Uh, <laughs> and the LastPass client is quite crappy. Right, like because nobody's working on it because who's got that phone, right? I, and so you want to buy an iPhone? Nice. <laughs> there is a clumsiness now when I when I need to log into something, and I and I've absolutely been in this situation where I have to go to the LastPass uh, app, and there is a mechanism for copy password, although you never see the password, and then you have to flip back and paste it into the the thing you want to use it. So it is clum. Where on Android. It's seamless, yeah. right? Yeah. It is it, it, as it is on, on any PC where I'm in Chrome. Right? I, I don't use Edge because no plugins, right? So, no. But in Chrome, with, when I'm properly logged into LastPass, when I, as soon as a username and password appears, it's just filled in. Yeah. But it's, you know, and I never see the password. It just, it just happens. Like this, the friction goes away. Mm -hmm. The other thing, the other thing that that, though, and I'm not going to say LastPass is the perfect tool, like it's the one that makes me happy. There's a bunch of them. Mm. Um, and there's free ones as well, if you want to do the care and feeding for them, is the cleaning up your own mess. So, you know, LastPass every so often reminds me, hey, you still have a couple of old passwords that are the same mm. on some old accounts. Can we go fix those? And, and does it actually go to Amazon, PayPal, whatever, and change your passwords for you? Some sites have set up a service now so that things like LastPass will literally change your passwords for you. So you don't have to do anything. God, I hope that doesn't get hacked. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're totally right. And it's like, but again, you get back to, why do we use the cloud? Because in theory, the Public cloud providers have the best people keeping that infrastructure running. These password services have really extraordinarily talented security people working there. Hmm. There's only so many of those to go around. And I trust them more than I trust myself to remember my Vedic poem yeah. uh, number. The, yeah. same, and the same way we feel about running our own servers. You know? yeah. Look, we think about the battles we've had keeping the .NET Rock site running. Hmm. In the old days, when we were literally running it on our own hardware, and now that it's in the cloud, while it's still not perfect, it's better. Much better. So I don't think that password managers are perfect, but without a doubt, better. Hmm. Okay. There you go. LastPass. Good solution. Mm. And only one of them. Pick a product. The only thing you ever... The, the, what is, the one thing true in all of these things is you must spend a little time learning this yeah. and getting used to it. And, and how, often, of how often do you change your LastPass password? Relatively rarely. Really? Because it's long. Yeah. And it's and, you know, sufficiently entropic. And it's just not a big need to change that password okay. all the time. Cool. You know, in the end, we, we're talking about data breaches, right? The issue here is... The most common passwords are out in the wild now, right? The big thing that comes from a data breach is those passwords are now exposed to the world, and so you really don't want to use them again. Yeah, and of course, everybody does. I, I have, I'm not going to tell you how many, but I have several passwords that I rotate, and every once in a while, I take one out of rotation, and I add a new one, because I can only remember so much, right? <laughs> And, uh, and that's what I think most people do. I don't even think most people do that. I think most people have one password that's probably 10 characters that they use everywhere. Except Six the places characters. that aren't allowed to use letters. Right, uh, right. And then the ones that doesn't like the number. And yeah, yeah. it's the consistency of all the sites that drives me nuts. You know? yeah. The number of times you go there and says, no, you can't use this. Mm. Or even the length, right? Like how come the minimum length is always different? 
And the yeah. funny thing is, like, I do a lot of workshops and I say to the companies, you know, what's the right minimum length? And there's a really funny pattern. Everyone always says six, eight, ten. It's always an even number. Why is this? Has anyone got, a, like, a minimum length that's an odd number? Seven. <laughs> However, brute, brute force retries, always an odd number. Three, five. Right. I don't know why. Just, <laughs> just, just an observation. Yeah. You're only allowed to retry three times and then we'll lock you out. So why not four? Two. I have a certain number of accounts in my life that are perpetually locked out. Right? I mess up my American Express account almost every time, one way or another, and I'm locked out of it all the time. And I just don't care enough about it. I've been locked out of my telco for years. And I'm having a tough time caring. I just can't pick up my voicemail. I do not care. <laughs> and the one thing yeah. I always find irritating about password policies, especially corporate policies, are the ones that make you change your password every first Force days. Force rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Just add a one. Well, that's exactly it. You know, you, you can tell how long you've been in a company. Does it give you any extra security? Well, mm. no, yeah, because you're right, you just add a n- number to the end. I, I, had a, I had a credit card that required an additional password when you went to use it online, that it would kick into their own little iframe thing that you had to enter in, and, you had, and there was no password recovery. So when you couldn't remember a password, because they had their own goofball rules, it didn't, it didn't fit with any passwords, so before I was using the password manager, you had to change the password. So I go to change the password to tell me I already used that password. So you can't recover the password, but you can tell me not to use it again. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Ah, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to change my password, too. It's all about the entropy. (laughs) (laughs) You like that, huh? That's a good one. It's actually time to give away a Sync Fusion Essential Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. With over 650 controls, Sync Fusion's Essential Studio is the most comprehensive suite of components available for .NET and JavaScript and Xamarin. Yeah. With world-class diagrams, maps, and charts. Reduce your development time, save some money, and get the best support in the industry. These are just a few of the reasons over 800,000 people make Sync Fusion a part of their daily dev process. And now individual developers and small teams can get access to every single control in Sync Fusion's library for free. The community license also gives you access to Sync Fusion's growing library of enterprise applications like dashboard platform and big data platform that can help make sense of complex data. Support and updates are included too. It's a 10K value for free. Check it out at syncfusion.com. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Craig Lecter. Woo! Yeah. No box. Craig, you must feel like the luckiest guy in the world right now. I hope you're not listening with your friends at lunch. <laughs> uh, and Craig just won the Sync Fusion Essential Studio. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends over there. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, Answer a few questions and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. and every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club picked at random. But you got to sign up to win. And we ask our guests in every show, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, Troy Hunt, what would you buy? Did everyone see those um, like unmanned missiles that are out there? 
How much do they go for? <laughs> oh, one of them. A little, a little more than five grand. Mm. Can, can we pool our resources? Yeah. Can we all get together? Are you going to ride it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm still deciding because it looked look kind of cool. That's... I, mean, I just have the question, like, what, what would you do with a missile exactly? What wouldn't you do? Well, you... <laughs> Whatever it is, it's only going to be once. <laughs> there, there might be this new president. Um... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well done, sir. Stephen Hans, what would you do with $5,000? I mean, I'm, I'm quite good gadget-wise at the minute, so I don't really need any more tech in my life. You're just life. talking crazy talk now. <laughs> <laughs> Miss, missile, missile. <laughs> so what I was going to say is, uh, you know, I've been working quite hard recently. I could do a holiday with the kids, so maybe yeah, use it to go to way. Disneyland. Oh, awesome, awesome answer. Yeah. But uh, failing that, I'll buy a missile with Troy. <laughs> the, uh, the General Atomics MQ-1 Predator. Predator. That's sad. Not a, that's a drone. You're going all out now. But it can carry missiles. It's the missile carrier. <laughs> what's, what's more so worrying, halfway is, there. What's <laughs> worrying is Troy's been sitting here Googling uh, missiles for the last few minutes. How, the <laughs> How do you get into the US anyway? I don't understand. Sequel so, injection. Oh <laughs> <laughs> so... So, Niall, I hear there's a bottle of scotch that costs about $5,000. Are you interested in that or something else? Um, ooh, do you know if it was like an IoT bottle of scotch, maybe, but, you know, would that count? <laughs> um, ooh, I would like one of the HoloLenses, actually. Yeah. Then you, could, then you could play with digital missiles. <laughs> See, I think we just went on the missile thing all over the place. All right, so you have 3000 so there's 2000 left from there. So there's $12,000. Will that buy a missile? Because now you have a missile and you can build a launcher. <laughs> And a second, he's checking the retail price. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're two point three eight billion dollars <laughs> for one mission. Oh no, that's the price. No, it's only four million for a unit. Oh, that's oh, right. there you go. Bargain. We're closer. We've probably so given away four million. So if, we, if, if we put a donation bucket at the, at, at the exit of the room, I can't think of a five thousand dollars scotch. No, there's a fifteen thousand. Yeah, the, the, the McAllen <laughs> reflection we right. saw that when we were up there in January was fifteen thousand. What does the Shackleton uh, stuff go for? So it was only a few hundred bucks. Oh, really? That's that's two hundred dollars yeah. if you buy it. But that's the second edition. You get the first edition. It's a bit more expensive. You know, there's yeah, a little tricky. Yeah, involves an Antarctic mission. Yes, so. and it has to be from nineteen like twelve. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I uh, yeah. This this is, these are not normal problems. <laughs> we went. We found this. Uh, uh, when we were up in Scotland, we went to this bar, mm. and they had reflection by the shot. I think mm. it was $375 a shot, mm. and I didn't try one. No. Because there were no good outcomes. Right. <laughs> I'm either going to like this, then I bought a $15,000 bottle of scotch, and I'm in big trouble. Yeah. Or I didn't like it, and I blew 375 bucks on something I don't want. That's, uh, that's almost expensive as a pint of beer in Norway. <laughs> 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 oh, no. As I found some horror the other day. Yeah. 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 That's absolutely true. There, okay, there you go. I, I, I quickly whipped out the, my, the Masters of Malt just to focus in on what's actually important, which is expensive scotch. And at 24,000 pounds for a bottle of Balvini, that, that'll, that'll do. Oh, that's the compendium collection. It's at least five bottles of Balvini. That's, that's fine. Sorry, well, sorry, that's we a just, deal. We there just got go. off the deep end. But getting more in our range. How much is a pound these days? Anyway, is it two to one, 1. 1.5 to one? Dollar Somewhere eight, in that neighborhood. Yeah, Glenn Farkless, 62, 2,800 pounds. That'll eat it up. All right. So Niall's still not interested? Maybe what? a hollow lens in a, in a $1,000 bottle of what was the... One that was the, you got for Kent that was a grand. Oh, there's a Glenn Farkless 40. Nice. 
It was very yeah, nice. Yeah, you'll, you'll buy a couple yeah. of those. Yeah, yeah. I was burping oak for an hour. <laughs> oh, welcome to Scotch Rocks. <laughs> it, that escalated quickly. <laughs> I don't want to talk about passwords anymore. I'm sad. Uh, I really want to talk about developers thinking about security. Like the, some actions, they've written software already. And and they're working on the next round of work items for the next sprint. How are we starting to talk about at least incorporating more security into software so that we're no? It's not our app that was breached. So, so speaking particularly from Stevens and my vested interests as, as Pluralsight authors as well, uh, education for developers is is really really cheap in terms of where you can spend your security money on. There is. There is a lot you can spend on uh, products. You can get security in a box, and they're big boxes with lots of blinking lights and thousands and thousands of dollars, and they sort of do one little thing uh, for one particular app or one particular company. But you educate people, and they get to reapply that over and over and over again. Uh, And they also get to apply it at the time where it's the, the cheapest to fix security, which is when they're writing it. Because we know that for any bugs in software, whether it's security or business features or or performance, the worst possible time to have to make a change is when the thing's all live and it's it's already out there. It's that sort of exponential cost thing. So yeah, for, for me, just getting these folks to sit there and and even just you know whether it's go through our courses or, or do some training or something like that, just to sort of skill up a little bit, and it it has a fundamental impact for a very little amount of money. Well, We've one fundamental thing everybody can do is use HTTPS everywhere. I mean that that helps us a lot, doesn't it? Because we really can't trust our routers and and uh, link. Uh, you can't trust the Wi-Fi. I don't, I don't understand. I can't don't understand. <laughs> but, He's but carrying one, his pineapple with him. That's <laughs> the kind of guy he is. But one of the things like is the security culture is like building this into your team and getting it together so that people are starting to think, um, you know, I, as a developer, have a responsibility for this data that if it ever gets out and gets, it could ruin someone's life. Sure. Now, if... You work for Ashley Madison? No. Okay. If I did, yeah, yeah. Uh, we wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, the, the the thing, all jokes aside, like one, I keep making this kind of point: don't make my job any easier, because it's 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 getting to the point where it's getting too simple for to do a lot of the hacks anymore. Because the researchers and we're all just looking for one mistake you're going to make, and you're trying to build your security boundary around your applications, and we just go, ah, there's a little hole you forgot, and that's it. So think about what happens if when this gets broken into and someone steals all your data, what would happen? Um, So if you assume that, okay, we've got hashing on all our uh, sensitive information, we've got hashing across the entire um, database, we've got like uh, data level encryption, we've got all this other kind of different techniques available, that's great. And then look at going, well, I've done that, so if someone breaks in, they can't get anything? And then what happens if, how do we stop people getting in? And that's kind of the two parts. It's not just like, let's build a huge wall around everything. That doesn't solve anything, Americans. <laughs> that's what you think, that's what you think. Believe me, believe me. <laughs> but but I, I talked to the Paula Jenna Whiskies of the yeah, world, yes. and she's like, I'm going to get in. Yeah. It's what happens next. No, but, no she is exceptional. Of yeah. all the, the most Do terrifying... Do not let that woman, woman touch your computer. She it's is terrifying. Ask your me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> There's it's a great story about her. You want to tell it? Oh, I don't. You guys know this story? Yeah, I know. Because she's a she's a petite blonde Polish girl with an English accent because she learned English from an English. Very soft spoken. Very soft-spoken. sweet. Goes into an office that's going to hire her for pen testing a half hour early and asks the receptionist if she can get online to pick up some notes because she's really nervous about the meeting. 
And then by the time she gets to the meeting 30 minutes later, she has every administrator password already. So she says, let us begin this conversation with all of your passwords. It was a kind of a question of why should we hire you? Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Any questions? Uh, my question is why shouldn't you? You don't yeah. need to hire me. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I just sort of acknowledge this idea that penetration is going to happen. It's just really, you know, they, and I put my IT hat on here. We talk about security in depth because it sounds good, but the reality is there's no wall that's unbreachable, and it's just how far are they going to go after that. Data needs to be encrypted on the disk, right? So that even if it's taken, it's like, good luck. You don't have the keys. Keys should not be sitting in a text file well, marked keys. There's, there's your other problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, well Troy, Troy demonstrated in one of his uh, talks earlier on about like Hashcat and how quickly he could do on, on commercial-grade hardware. Not even like, you know, kind of industrial stuff. It's just commercial-grade huh? yeah. consumer consumer yeah. hardware. Yeah. That you can just like a straight-on GPU and how quickly you can ca uh, crack passwords based off just, just random brute force. And it's astonishing. And, you know, there, there's now companies specializing in s supplying you with a, a box of 10 graphics cards that you can go off and just um, crack 350 billion hashes a second. And, you know, that's how quickly it'll get through certain types of hashing. What about, what about throttling password attempts? You know, only uh, allowing a certain number per second. Well, that's why you should do something like a password-based key derivation function. What? But, uh, I mean, what you're talking about, Carl, <laughs> is like in the, um, in the app what, itself, what, what? right? Yes. So when you're making the HTTP request, HTTPS request, you can only make so many per second or, or whatever it may be. But I guess in terms of password hashing, it's a question of once the password storage has been compromised mm. and someone's SQL injector sucked out all the passwords and you've got the hashes, you've got no more app to do any throttling. And so to Stephen's point, now we're talking about things like PBKDF2 where you can effectively increase the workload of how difficult it is to create the hash so that you can, you can slow the whole process down. You don't stop it, but if rather than being able to do you know, 4 billion MD5 calculations a second, you can only do 4,000 bcrypt calculations a second, well, you've just increased your password strength a thousand times over. Right, and, mm -hmm. and made it just a little less interesting for anybody trying to break through. You know, if they actually wanted to work, they wouldn't be data thieves. <laughs> well, the thing is, is if, you, if it takes you, say, uh, 20 seconds to crack a password, right. but if it takes you 20 years, yeah. you know, well, that, that's the level of entropy because of the fact that they've, got a, they've done a correct hash and it's, and it's salted correctly and everything's done right and you've kind of... Until you know, they get a faster computer than you. Yeah, but yeah. that's that, that's the thing. You're kind of you're you're up against the well. We can crack more passwords with my iPhone than I can crack with my uh, my old computer. Not that right. thing, you know. So everything we've talked about so far speaks to IT's responsibility to security more than developments. Encryption on the disk, password well, policy, like this is stuff for the ops guys. I don't, mm. as a dev, need to worry about this. The, the, the devs are building the software which chooses the encryption or, the, or rather the hashing function. I mean, if, if for argument's sake, you go out and you use the ASP.NET membership provider from 2012, you have chosen a product which is now going to hash with a SHA-1 and a, an assault, and it's going to be pretty much useless. I mean, I mean, it's you as the devs who are going to choose how that gets stored on the disk. IT is choosing the Active Directory implementation and that sort of password right. hashing. But in the app, it's, it's mostly going to be the devs. Or you choose to go and do the social login sort of thing and you make it someone else's problem. Mm. Also, I mean, if developers are putting that much effort into, say, doing record-level encryption on personal information, that's all great. But if you don't store your keys correctly, so if you just, as you said before, store keys in a text file on a Who disk... Who would do that? 
I've, Sony. I've seen. <laughs> I, I've, I've also worked for companies that do that as well. Sure. P- private keys yeah, on, a, yeah. on a hidden folder on C drive. Yeah, because that'll fix. That's protected. No problem. Mm. I mean, you know, a lot of us work in like regulated industries, so finance, healthcare. So really need to start looking at things like um, hardware security modules or Azure Key Vaults. Right. Still feeling like an operations set of tasks, right? Even when we talk about database storage as a whole, I've got a DBA. He's crazy, right? Like he's <laughs> he's been beaten up by the infosec guy enough, and everything written to that drive to that machine in that machine now is encrypted, and the dev hasn't got a lot of responsibility for it. He's going to be calling store procedures. He's going to write encrypted data. So here's a story for you. We uh, at AppV Next, which is my consultancy, we pay our developers and our consultants usually by ACH. And in order to do that, we had to set up a special ACH account with our bank, and they came out to the, to the office, and they told us everything. And they came with an envelope, and in the envelope was an RSA generator that was a you know, battery-operated little fob, and every, every minute, a different number, an alphanumeric number, came up on the screen. I think it might have been 12 characters or something like that. And so when you go to the website to log in, you're supposed to put in the number that's on the screen. And so the, 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 the preferred way to do this is to wait till it flips, because obviously you don't want to get caught. You wait till it flips, you put it in, and there's a, there's a secondary algorithm running the same algorithm on, on the server that is matched to that key. And so it will come up with the same number every minute, and it can, you know, that, that is the way that you get in. So there's never a password per se. Oh, that's in addition to you know, your regular password to log into the system. So there's two levels of security. I thought that was really brilliant. You know what some people do? So this is the interesting thing. We get good implementations like that, and then people go and stuff them up. So, yeah. so for example, you, you see uh, instances of people getting their RSA token, sticking it to a board, pointing a webcam at it. Right. <laughs> so that it doesn't matter where they are, they can go and actually access web. I saw a guy write a blog post recently oh where he even wrote the code to OCR the token from the webcam so that he, he could copy and paste the note. He didn't even want to type it in. No. So as, as good as we, we build some systems, there's always going to be someone who wants to go and screw it up. Right. <laughs> now, now that is software as a service. <laughs> <laughs> now is there a combination of that technology with maybe a near-field RFID or something like that that can, you know, so if, as long as they have it in my pocket, it reads the number from it and, you know, can log me in. That, now, that's kind of convenient, as long as it's secure, of course. And we all know RFID is really secure. That's a joke. But if, if the, developer, <laughs> <laughs> the developers have got the responsibility of kind of like, okay, they need to educate themselves enough to know what they're supposed to use to do. If, if they take the kind of the basic implementations like Troy said and use SHA-1, they may not even know that this is bad. That's another problem. Right. You know, we start seeing going, oh, I'm, in, I'm hashing my passwords. Oh, great. What are you doing? I'm using MD5. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. Or I'm using ROT16. You know? <laughs> well, if you <laughs> use MD5, at least you're saving on disk space. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that they may not know, and that's, and, that's, and that's the thing. I said the education factor of kind of like, okay, why shouldn't I do this? What should I be using? And people like us are saying, you should be doing this. this is, here's our cheat sheet for kind of avoiding certain pitfalls to just get mm. you beyond level zero and level you up to one or two. And then you start to begin to see the light like this and uh, get to... Um, figure out that, okay, yeah, maybe I should be looking at this better, you know? I think the security culture, building that into the concept that if this data is stolen, what will happen? 
rather than just people just saying, oh, I've managed to create a user in the database and I've managed to retrieve the user in the database. I've done my job. Well done, you. So we should be scaring our developers. I like that. I, you yeah. know, all they got to do is listen to Troy's .NET Rocks interviews and they'll be scared still. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I, th- but I agree, you know, put the, put the fear of Troy in him. There's <laughs> 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 a t-shirt. I love this. Fear the, of Troy. The, the shows we've done recently, speaking about security, besides, you know, terror with Troy, <laughs> is... Um, Can we get that as a podcast, actually? Nice. Terror with Troy. Terror with Troy. Dot <laughs> <laughs> com. Yeah. Uh, the OWASP Top 10. Yeah. Mm. And, and, it's, and it kills me that number one is still SQL injection. Yeah. It kills me. Like I did a talk yesterday on it, and it was like it's like people are going, "Oh my God, you're still are you kidding me?" And I'm like, yeah. "Yep." It, well, it, and I and I totally get that. There's a whole bunch of legacy, mm. uh, you know, websites out there that are vulnerable, and there are tools that'll help you find them fast <laughs> too, <laughs> uh, and then help you exploit them even, even faster. faster. But I, I I would just hope we're not greenfielding SQL injection. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you why we are. There's, um, there's a blog post that I show quite a bit from last year. So, you know, I'm talking 2015, where a guy has written out how to do uh, effectively a password reset in ASP.NET C Sharp uh, with web forms, which is, I guess, a bit unusual in 2015. But anyway, that's what he's done. And the whole thing is, it's odd, actually. It's, it's got one section of uh, SQL code, which is beautifully parameterized and works great. And then the next section beneath that is just SQL injection all through it. And this is a new tutorial, you know, newish, one year old, uh, written there that then has a bunch of comments from all these people saying, thank you, that's very useful. So how many people then gone and copied that and built their new stuff like that? Right. You know, it it still happens. still a lot of new stuff that does that. Hmm. Because we, we, like, you know, there's, have you guys seen the the O'Reilly um, yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, copy-pasting answers from Stack Overflow. Yeah. And it's that's a book, like, book cover. Book, like the, an O'Reilly book, but it's O'Reilly. O'Reilly. Fake <laughs> you know, book covers. It's brilliant, but like, that's what a lot of people do. Yeah, exactly. What the f- is security. Um, How to ignore it and deliver your project on time. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, the, thing, the thing is that people will just go, this code works. I press F5. The result that happens is what I expected. Great. Don't touch it. Don't understand it. Run away. Ship it. Yeah. Ship it. Get it and, the door. Um, and I think that's what we're starting to see a lot of. And there's, you know, developers are. We're very good at going. Here's a problem. I've written some code that solves said problem, but I haven't thought about who would actually use this. And it's like trying to give, um, you know, an, uh, my son like an, a knife and or an axe or something because he'll just go, "Oh look, daddy!" Whoosh. <laughs> So that, that's what happens. I think that there's going to be more like that. I like the model of physical keys. Like you have a key to your house, you have a key to your car. And this security model has worked pretty much for a long, long time. And um, the whole idea is that there's one thing that's unique that you keep on your person all the time. And that's the only thing that's going to get you into your house. Well, I mean, what if your laptop had a like an ignition switch? You know, you like put in a key and turn it and then you can use it. And all of the security flows from that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Is I that have a, a crazy I have a, idea? I have, a, I have a really good joke. Your house was good until you had windows in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> boom. Well, that one's sinking. Yeah. Yep. Terrible. Terrible. Yeah. Oh, man. Even the key thing on the house, I mean, the, the, the idea now is that you've got to IoT the house, right? Right. So you don't, because this is the beauty of it. Who wants to carry around a key, they say, because you just walk up and you put your finger on the door. Oh, yeah. And hopefully it's your door that opens <laughs> when you do that. But we've, we're seeing vulnerabilities in these sorts of things, like there's, uh, there's an IoT doorbell. Apparently, you need to have an internet-connected doorbell. And you'd ring the doorbell and there's a camera there somewhere. 
but the problem is, is that when your doorbell rang and you, you looked at the monitor to see who was ringing it, it wasn't your house that <laughs> was ringing oh. on. Yeah. So when you start to wire these things in, I mean, it, it just doesn't take much to go real wrong, does it? Yeah, we did a show with, uh, with Kim Carter when we talked yes. about InfoSec, and he talked about the OWASP Zap library and just building that as part of your test sequence. Right? That every, when you're building a, a website, you, you're running through a set of security tests, that, and one of the things it's checking is you know, the straightforward SQL injection vulnerabilities, the things that the script kiddies would run to try and breach your site. At, at least you're trying that yourself. Well, if you've got if you've got a build server, just like um, there's a ton of CLI tools out there that you can just like plug in, yeah. like Nikto, uh, for example. Just uh, do Nikto dash H, and it's a program that'll uh, run through all the different vulnerabilities it knows and quickly scan out your application and give you back a kind of oh, we found this, we found this. You're being wow. you're being silly. Then there's more advanced tools like Arachne, um, mm. which is a full-on web framework. And if you're running Windows 10 with the new kind of anniversary updates on it, it runs Bash. So you can run these like natively nearly now. Mm. Um, you just install it, and it generates a nice web UI. Um, it has like a feedback. It gives you like a, uh, here's all the percentage of stuff we found. You have a SQLi test, have an XSS test, and it can run these in, in command line. But it also gives you back a nice kind of this is a bug for for you, and you can discuss it, or this is a false positive, and and managers can see like, okay, your security tests are getting better. And then you can start doing other kind of like um, static analysis testing and other type of, uh, but nothing kind of fails or works better than the kind of the human to test the logic. These only just test the common little bits. The stuff that we find a lot is like people where I go and I go, I try and walk through the code a little differently. I think that's, a, but I definitely recommend if you've got no baseline or if you're starting from scratch, some of these little tools straight up, they're free. Just knock them into your application set sure. and you can be much quicker up and running. I mean, we, we use a tool, it's a kind of a third party cloud tool called Tinfoil Security. Yeah. Tinfoil Security? Yeah. So it, 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 As in Tinfoil Hat? Yes. So it does a kind of like an external test against your websites. Right. And then it gives you a security report of any vulnerabilities it Isn't finds. Is that built into Azure right now? It's built into Azure, and you can get it as a plug-in to Cloudflare as well. Mm. Hmm. Nice. Wow. So there are some, I mean, and I just like some actionable items here. Yeah. Like, yeah. At least to have a sense, you know, and I think all of you at one time or another has done a hack yourself first kind of session right. in the past mm -hmm. few years. It's like, we should, this should be part of our process as developers is hack on your own site so that you know what vulnerabilities are absolutely apparent. And, they, and some of them might be your responsibility from a code perspective, and some of them might be operations. But and, if we're not and, and building that into a test sequence, you're just not even going to know. Are there any other tools, Troy, that you want to mention that, uh, that we should be looking at for uh, analyzing our security situation? I think the main comment I'd, I'd have on tools, because I, I, I saw Niles talk yesterday as well, where you showed Nikto, mm. uh, and you're running it in Kali Linux. And it's, you know, a lot of this stuff is very cool. I think one of the, the challenges is for a lot of developers, particularly Microsoft developers mm. working ASP.NET Web, this is really foreign territory. I mean, out of interest, how many people here want to spin up Kali Linux and run unknown tools? There's this one guy, and he's got a hat and a beard, so he's a security guy. He's, he's, also, um, he's also Danish and a bit weird like that. <laughs> I think we have then established the point. It, <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a barrier to entry, and this is why I kind of like the, uh, the, the tinfoil slash Cloudflare sort of stuff where you, you effectively just route your application through some sort of a proxy, which looks for these sorts of things, gives mm. you a layer of security, and by no means do I, do I want to suggest that you shouldn't go through and actually understand SQL injection and cross-site scripting and all this sort of thing. But there needs to be low friction stuff that works in a fashion that developers are, are comfortable with. 
Uh, otherwise, I just think it's too big a leap sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Last words, gentlemen. Niall? Uh, when do I get my whiskey? <laughs> Stephen? <laughs> no, I think I'm, I'm just totally over the moon that the airport strike is not happening. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> awesome. That, that was causing me considerable stress yesterday. Okay, I, if I want to do a real kind of last words, guys, seriously, don't make it like that we can walk up here and do really interesting talks because you've screwed up. Think Put about these it guys better. out of business. Yes, that, I'm, I'm nearly kind of like suggesting people try and do that um, uh, for kind of like secure your code, secure your data. Think really kind of closely about, you know, what you are working with and what happens if it gets out in the wild. Who will be affected? You know, Scare thyself. Yes, exactly. Troy? Yeah, look, I, I think it's... Um for me, the big thing is experience stuff firsthand. So uh, whether you go and get that in, in Pluralsight courses for, from either of us, stuff like Hack Yourself First, which, which is a really popular one of mine, where it just goes, here is how to do SQL injection. Like, go and do it. Um, don't, don't just Google for a website and do it. Like, <laughs> do it on the site that I created it for, but experience it firsthand, because once you get to play with this stuff, it's actually pretty cool. And a lot of people get really involved in it and then sort of get a newfound passion for it. Mm -hmm. So I, I, guess, I guess a key thing to say there is... If you're going to try any of these things, do it on a site that you own, not one that you don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do it no, on Troy's. Otherwise, you might do be living in a box for a few years. Yeah. Do it on Troy's site. Yeah. 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 That's fine. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's the show, guys. Let's give it up for our security panel. I'll <laughs> see you next time on .NET Rocks! .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a... Uh...